Creed. Of the Creed, if you're here uh, at Grace Bible Church for your first time, welcome. We are going through the Apostles' Creed line by line and teaching uh, what the significance is of every line. And this next line that we're going to cover is actually one of the most significant lines in the Apostles' Creed. It says that Jesus was suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, dead, and buried. And, uh, and we're going to do a tag team this morning between Pastor Eddie and myself. Um, he has 50-something slides, and I have, I have a bunch of slides too, so I have no idea how this is going to work. We're, um, I, I love listening to my dad's teachings. Uh, my mom, my mom, his teachings have actually gotten very more uh, profound. I mean, it's always been profound, but uh, when my mom says that she loves listening to my dad's teachings during the senior meeting, then his teachings have gone to another level. So uh, <laughs> she was telling me in the car, your dad, he's like preaching amazing stuff in the senior ministry. And, uh, but he's going to come up and share some of the um, uh, thoughts that he had from suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. Uh, could you give Pastor Eddie a warm welcome this morning? Thank you. Well, that's really, I, you know, it would be great if your wife tells you things like that, right? <laughs> Somehow, while husbands and wives don't compliment each other enough. <clears throat> this is the most important part of the creed because everything leads up to this and what comes after it only comes after it because of what we're going to be covering uh, this morning. So this is what our salvation, our promise of heaven, forgiveness of sins is based on. And I think for every single one of us, somewhere in our lives, there has been times of huge questions regarding forgiveness. Am I going to go to heaven? Is heaven real? Is Jesus for real? And, you know, I think for all of us that we go through times when we question uh, these phrases of the Apostle Creed answer these questions that we have in our lives and they answer it in two ways. They answer it historically. They tell us that this is not just myths and fables. It's real uh, events that have taken place and prophetically. Uh, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Uh, what is really interesting is that this phrase, suffered under Pontius Pilate, comes right after what we looked at last week. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, and then it goes from his birth directly into his death without any explanation of what went on in his ministry, his life, his healings, his teachings, all of those things. It, it just completely goes over that. Why does it do that? And that is because what Jesus came to do from the time of his birth is that he came with the intention not to just live a life. He came to die. I, that, that is really, really significant. That there, there was a man born, and none of us want to die. And he came and he knew that his destiny was to die. And he was going to give his life. And so the apostles, that uh, the apostle creed that was designed didn't even consider the, death, the life of Jesus. It went directly to his death. Uh, <clears throat> and because we go through so many different questions in our own lives <clears throat> in regards to the reality of what we believe in, one of the things that's put into the Apostles' Creed 
And I looked at this and I said, why suffered under Pontius Pilate? Yeah. Lord, bless this word and ask that you administer to each of our hearts in regards to that. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> There's only two persons that are mentioned. One is a very unknown, obscure person, uh, a teenage girl, Mary. And were it not for the gospel being preached across the nation, we would never know who she was. And there was also a very inconspicuous person that did not even want to take the assignment that he was given in uh, Judea to be the governor of Judea because it was just this uh, very far distant place with very tough to get along, if you know Jewish people, uh, just tough to get along people. And he had to, he had to be assigned to that. I don't think he really liked it. And yet, what he did made its mark on history in such a way that the Apostles' Creed puts his name there, Pontius Pilate. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why, why is there uh, a prominent Roman leader like Pontius Pilate mentioned in the Creed? It was because when I was in, uh, taking my master's, I had to do a study in religions, and I thought, I grew up with a Shinto background, but I don't know anything about it. All I know is I came to Jesus at 15, and I accepted into my life. I accepted the promise of eternal life. There's my life totally changed at 15. And I thought, oh, I'm going to study the Shinto religion. And I went to the Shinto church in Papukalo over here. I went to Honolulu, and I met the priest in the uh, Duano Avenue Church, sat down with them, and I, I was shocked with what I found. <clears throat> I asked, this is the specific thing I asked him. I said, uh, what are your teachings about life after death? And these are some of the thoughts. They said that it's an emphasis on kami, spiritual energy, rather than reincarnation, that you just kind of drift into a life after you die. Uh, Yomi is a land of the dead, and it's seen as a destination for all those who die. There's a place that people go to. Uh, it's neither a paradise nor a hell. It's frequently described as a gloomy place. I thought, okay, now, you know, who would want to go to a place like that? Then I asked them, what's the basis of what you believe? And they said, oh, there's no basis for it. It's a mythology. We just have fables and stories uh, that have been passed down to us. And I walked away and I thought, I am so glad I'm a Christian. <laughs> because it's not fables and stories. It is what we believe is rooted in history. Well, you know, when we, when we accept Jesus into our lives and he becomes Savior, we sense the forgiveness of sins. We know we're going to go to heaven. It's a witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yeah? Without that witness, uh, I remember once being in in college hearing this amazing, logical, rational presentation of the resurrection of Jesus. And um, I was walking with the speaker uh, afterwards, and I said, you know, you gave an invitation for all these people, non-believers on the university campus to accept Jesus. Into Why didn't they accept him? You know, not, nobody responded. He looked at me and he said, because Christianity is not an intellectual uh, religion. We have, we have rational basis for it, 
But a person doesn't become a Christian because of rationality. You know what it is? It's a moral decision. If a person doesn't want to change their lives, they're not going to come to Christ <laughs> because it's going to require that. It's a decision of committing your life so that your life can be transformed. And if a person's not willing to change, they're not going to make that decision. And I never knew that. I thought, well, so all that we understand of apologetics, of logical thinking, of dates and history, of geography, all these things will help us as Christians, but it won't help a non-believer. They have to, by the Holy Spirit, be convicted in order to come to the Lord. But for us, it helps us to know that the gospel is rooted in history and world religion. Just the story of Christmas is really interesting because just the story itself in Luke chapter 2, 1, 2, and 4 has all the implications and foundations of a political, geographical, and geological genealogical, uh, all factors involved in it. It was a decree that came from the Emperor Caesar. So you can go back into history and see Roman, Roman history. Uh, when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and so we can go back into the annals of history and actually look at what took place then. Uh, Joseph came out of Galilee, uh, a real place, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, uh, and he came to the city of David, Bethlehem, and he came from the house and lineage of David. All of these things are mentioned in the scriptures. Why? To just give a foundation in history that this is not just some fable and imagination and a dream of a person. This actually happened. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. This is really interesting. There are coins that were issued uh, during Pilate's rule that's, that's been uncovered. And he, he was probably one of maybe four different uh, rulers in Judea that actually issued coins. And you, we, we found them in, in uh, archaeological finds. <clears throat> this is really interesting. This, uh, this is in the city of Caesarea, right on the border of the Mediterranean in, is, in Israel, nation of Israel. And in 1961, they actually found a stone that had his name inscribed on it, Pontius Pilate, the governor of, uh, of Judea. And he ruled, interestingly enough, Jesus was born in 1 BC, 1 AD, however you want to look at that. But Pontius Pilate never took uh, his position to rule until 27 AD. So when Jesus was born, he wasn't even there. After 27 years, he got into his position. Until 37 AD, just in the middle of his time of being governor, he had to face Jesus and make a decision in regards to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and in Mark chapter 15, it says the elders and the whole council of the Jewish synagogue bound Jesus, brought him to Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it is as you say. So what, what that phrase suffered under Pontius Pilate has two implications. One, one is that I mean, this is really hard to understand. God can suffer. And he came in order to suffer. And Pastor John's going to talk a little bit about that part. But he was crucified. He died. He was buried. But it was under a Roman empire's ruler's uh, period of governorship 
in that period of time. And you can go back into history and you can tag that period of history when it took place. Then right after that, we take a look at this whole area. He was crucified, he died, and he was buried. God gave his life. He gave his life for you and me. When I was uh, probably five or six years old, I, I had this uh, encounter with my babysitter, my auntie. And I looked in the skies and I asked her, uh, do, you, do you know who made all of that? You know, why are the sky, the the stars in the sky, and she said, I don't know. And she said, what came out of your mouth shocked us because you said, one day I'm going to find out. And when I was 15 years old, I came to Christ, I realized this is the God I've been searching for. And I never really had real clear uh, influence by my parents. They, they were Shintos, you know, Buddhists, no knowledge of the Lord. And yet, all of a sudden, I realized this is what I've been looking for. And I gave my life to Christ and realized that somehow, even though I could not understand the logic and the rationale behind it, 2 Corinthians 5.21 made sense to me. For our sakes, he, Jesus, became sin for us who knew no sin, so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. I realized Jesus died for me. About 10 years ago was this huge revelation because I always thought, I needed to confess my sins whenever I would do something wrong, you know. And in my mind, I had this thought that if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be forgiven. And yet when I realized Jesus took all my sins, not only my present sins and my past sins, but all my future sins, it made a huge, huge difference in my life to understand the grace of God. And this is what this is all about. You know, that our sins have totally been washed away because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Do you know that there's a, this is a prophetic part of it. Do you know that there's about a hundred scriptures in the Old Testament that refer to the coming of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection? Uh, it's really hard to read all of them <laughs> with that kind of print, but there's about a hundred prophecies, you know. And if you study, it's amazing. Uh, there's no way in the world people could guess that. No way. It had to be either God or this is a total, total fabricated thing. And there's all kinds of documentation that shows us through history that all these documents that go back thousands of years are actually accurate documents. <clears throat> so this, this is some of the major, there's about 30 prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross. Uh, there's... Uh, prophecies regarding a betrayal by a friend, Judas, uh, sold for 30 pieces of silver, uh, silent when he was accused, he was beaten and spat upon, crucified with sinners, and his side was pierced. All of those, and, and there's, that's only half a dozen out of, out of 30 of them. And I think one of the things that possibly we don't realize <clears throat> How many of you know this? My God, my God. Have, have you heard this before? Why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah, the very words of Jesus when he was on the cross. How many of you know that that was a prophecy? In fact, those were the very words of prophecy from the Old Testament that Jesus repeated on the cross. 
it came from the lips of David or the pen of David. And we're going to just take a look at one chapter and about a half a dozen verses, chapter 22. And in chapter 22, there's all these pictures of the cross that was given to David, the king of Israel. He was a soldier. He was a commander-in-chief of his armies. Uh, he became the first beloved king of Israel. He wrote uh, most of the book of Psalms, of the chapters of Psalms. And he loved go going out into the field with the harp and just worshiping God and enjoying the presence of God. And as he was in the presence of God, and that's why it's so important for all of us to spend time with the Lord, because there's things God will show us and teach us regarding what's to come. And as David was spending time before the Lord one day, all of a sudden, he had a vision of the cross and what was going to happen when Jesus would come uh, 1,500 years, 1,000 years later. And I just want to go through a real quick review with you. Uh, as David spent time in the presence of God, God gave him prophetic insights into the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> um, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is verse 1 in chapter 22. So chapter 22 starts off, my God, my God, why? And in one sense, when we're reading it, we look at it and we say, that's David in his despair running away from Saul who wants to kill him. And, but in truth, what it was, was David that saw Jesus on the cross speaking these words and then penning those words in this chapter. Because in Matthew 27, verse 46, those words are spoken by Jesus. <clears throat> Psalms 22, verse 6 says, I am no longer a human being. I'm a worm despised and scorned by everyone. <clears throat> That's what happened at the foot of the cross as the Jews, the, the Jewish leaders were railing and mocking Jesus Christ. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And this is uh, Matthew 27. And also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. So it was fulfilled exactly what uh, David saw. In chapter 22, verse 18, David saw what was going to happen at the foot of the cross. They took Jesus' garment, and rather than uh, cut up the garment and divide it among the they cast lots to see who would get his robe. And Jesus saw that. I mean, now David saw that. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots, verse 18. And when they uncrucified him, verse 20, chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 35, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. <clears throat> David also saw in verse 16... They pierced my hands. Notice that this is David speaking in the first person. You know, that, that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is God speaking to us, through us to others. And it is actually Jesus speaking through the pen of, through the pen of David. <clears throat> they pierced my hands and my feet. And in John 19, verse 18, there they actually did that. They pierced Jesus' hands and his feet. All this in one chapter uh, from the book of Psalms. Save me from all the power of the enemy from this roaring lion. It's really interesting. 
that uh, David mentions a roaring lion that goes about seeking whom he may devour, raging against me in the power of his dark cords, verse 21. And then in verse 22, he says, I, this is really interesting. It says, I will declare, even though all the darkness surrounds me, there is coming a day, and this is the resurrection that he speaks of, I'll declare your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. When did that happen? It happened one day when Jesus appeared to his disciples, and he explained what had happened, why this was all going on. In his resurrection, he appears uh, to his disciples. And then the chapter ends in a very powerful, climactic uh, way. And it says, our children and their children will get in on this as the word is passed along from parent to child. Babies not conceived will hear the good news that God does what he says. That's verse 30 and 31. And it gives to us an insight into a multi-generational gospel that is going to go through out the entire world through families, family units, and impact generations to come. And that's what's happened with what Jesus did. Going into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Have you ever questioned the validity of your salvation, your forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life? These phrases of the Apostles' Creed answers these questions both historically and prophetically to just give confirmation of what we've experienced personally in each one of our lives. Okay, Pastor John, it's in your hands. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I guess what I'm going to cover uh, with, that was awesome. Can we give another hand for Pastor Eddie? <laughs> what I'm going to cover is he is crucified, dead, and buried. And uh, one of the things in scripture that, that is, uh, kind of clarifies what that is. For me, um, I grew up in a Christian home and I thought I was really good. Uh, I thought, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't like my classmates and, you know, didn't do all the bad things that they did. Actually, I was pretty rotten. When I think back on how I was when I was in high school, I was, I was a rotten kid. And, uh, and I never had an encounter with God until I went to college. And when I really started seeking God and, and, and trying to find out who he was and who, if he was real and all of that, uh, I, I got to know God in a better way, a personal way. And in knowing God in a, a, a closer way, I could see how messed up I was. Because I, before, I just compared myself with all my friends. And I was like, oh, I'm better than them. I don't sleep around. I don't do drugs. You know, I don't do all these different things. I'm a good person. But when I started to get to know God and the perfection of who God was, then it made me feel really bad because I now measured myself against somebody who was perfect. And, and one of the things when you get to know God better is you start seeing all the junk in your life, right? How many of you can identify with that? That when you start getting to know God, all of a sudden you look terrible. And, uh, and one of the things that I learned was the presence and the power of God became so much greater in my life 
when I realized how messed up I was, but how God still loved me in spite of being messed up. And how many of you can identify with that? That that's when you feel the power in the presence of God the most is when you see uh, how short you have come in, in, in light of that, but still he loves us. And so um, Jesus being crucified, dead, and buried, uh, there's one scripture that I want to read, First um, Samuel 6.19. Let's read this together. So this, this, was, uh, this was right after the Ark of the Covenant was stolen from, the, from Israel and taken by the Philistines. And it said that they took the Ark cover, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, off, and they looked into the ark. You guys all know that story, right? They look into the ark, and let's read this scripture together. One, two, three. Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh, because they looked into the ark of the Lord, and he struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. What does that have to do with Jesus dying? Why do you think God killed all those people that looked in the ark? There's a reason, and we're gonna, and it has to do with Jesus being crucified, dead, and buried. Are you guys ready to jump into it? Okay, so uh, let's. Jesus, he was the propitiation of our sin. Everyone say propitiation. Propitiation. What does that mean? In Romans three twenty four verse twenty five. Let's read it together. One, two, three being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What does propitiation mean? If you look in the Greek, propitiation is uh, pronounced hilasterian, or hilasteria, I don't know how to say it, hilasteria. Leon, <laughs> I don't know how to talk, say Hebrew or Greek. Um, it means the mercy seat or the lid of the ark in the temple. So the cover of the ark in the temple, it looked like this. Uh, and it talks about how once a year on the Day of Atonement, the priest would have to kill an animal. And from the animal, they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat or the propitiation, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, they'd sprinkle it on there, and it, it talks about the Lord meeting the high priest there once a year on the Day of Atonement. The way that everything was set up in the Holy of Holies, and you can go to that next slide, the Holy of Holies, you can see that the high priest was the only one that was allowed in. He would go in on the Day of Atonement um, in, the holy, in the holy place, but only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies which was past the second veil, and it was there that he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat or the propitiation. He would sprinkle the blood there, and then it, it talked about God meeting him there face to face. His presence would be there, and he would talk to him. So the significance of the mercy seat, the Day of Atonement, it was used of the cover of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, which was sprinkled with blood of the expiate expiatory victim on the annual day of atonement, this rite sig uh, signifying that the life of the people and the loss of which they had merited by their sins was offered to God in the blood as the life of the victim, and that God by this ceremony was appeased and their sins expiated. Hence the lid of expiation 
the propitiatory, the propitiation of the ark. So this is what Exodus says about that holy of holies, that special place um, that the high priest would go. You shall put the mercy seat or the propitiation on the top of the ark, and in the ark you should put the testimony that I will give you, and there I will meet you. Everyone say, I will meet you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. This was the meeting place between Israel and their God. You can see uh, an illustration of that in the next photo. What were in the articles of the Ark of the Covenant? The first, uh, so there's three different things in the Ark of the Covenant. And growing up in church, I always looked at these three things because this was like the Holy of Holies. This represented the presence of God where God would meet his people once a year. And so inside the Ark, there has to be very holy, uh, very... um, things that represent who God is, the holiness of God. And so in the ark, there was Aaron's budded rod, there was a bowl of manna, and the Ten Commandments. And so when I grew up, I thought, Ten Commandments. If I follow the Ten Commandments, then that's where the presence of God is. If I, if I, uh, and the, the, the manna, that must represent that the, the word of God, that if I stay in the word of God with the manna, then that's where the presence of God is. And the, the rod of Aaron, if I stay under the authority of God, then I'll stay under his presence. And I, so I had this conception that that's where the presence of God was. Um, when I went to Israel, Arie, our tour guide, he, he gave a different perspective of this. And he said that Aaron's budded rod signified the rebellion of Korah against Moses and Aaron. And that represented the pride of life. The Ten Commandments signified the rebellion of Israel against Moses when they worshipped the golden calf. That was representing the lust of the eyes. And then the pot of manna, this signified the rebellion of Israel against Moses when they wanted to eat meat instead of just the manna. So all three articles represented instances in Israel's history when they rebelled against God because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And isn't that cool? It's completely opposite. So inside the ark was all these things that represented the sin of man. How many of you have rebelled against God because you had a lust of the flesh? How many of you rebelled against God because you had a lust of the eyes, that you wanted material things. How many of you rebelled against God because you're proud and you just wanted to do everything your way? And these things are in the ark, but what did God do? He took these articles that represented the rebellion of man and he put over it the mercy seat that was covered by the blood of an animal. And every year they would come They would sprinkle the blood, and the sins of the whole nation would be atoned for. And when Romans says that Jesus is the propitiation of our sin, 
it means that he is the covering, that there's rebellion in every single one of our lives. No one of us is perfect. We still rebel against God because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Can the worship team please come up? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But his son covers us. And when God looks at you, and when he looks at the person sitting next to you, he doesn't see their shortcomings. He doesn't see your shortcomings. He doesn't see your sin and your rebellion. Instead, he sees the blood that covers your life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How many are grateful for that? Amen. He is a propitiation, and he covers our sin. And so we're going to take communion this morning. If, you, if, the, um, if the ushers could hand out the communion. Oh, you guys all have the communion this morning. Um, I don't have a communion cup. Could I get a communion cup? Oh. <laughs> he said. <laughs> why, was, why, were the, why were the Philistines slaughtered when they looked into the ark? God instructed the Israelites not to open the ark and to look into it. Why? Because there's a tendency for all of us to examine our sin. There's a, there's a tendency that all of us have to try to fix the junk that's in our lives. How do we fix it? By taking the lid off the ark, removing Jesus from our lives, and looking inside all the junk, and, and oh man, I did that wrong, I gotta fix that. Oh, look at that, I did that wrong, I gotta fix that. And what happens when we evaluate and put our sins under a microscope? Do we experience life or death? Death. And that, that was what happened with the Philistines. They looked in the, under the, the mercy seat, and there was a, a great slaughter. And what God was illustrating in that is there's only one way that we can experience life. It's not through us fixing ourselves. It's not through us examining our sin. It's through the blood and the mercy seat that covers us. So... Let's take communion this morning. That's what we do every week when we come to the table of the Lord and we look at the blood, we look at the wine and we look at the bread. It's because of, of what he did for us that we're set free and we experience life. Amen. You can uh, take the top off. The bread represents his body that was broken for us that through his body that was broken for us, we receive healing and provision. It was by his stripes that we were healed. So God, we just thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken for us, that represents our protection and represents our provision. God, we take this understanding that it's your provision and it's what happened on the cross that protects us in Jesus' name. You can go ahead and take that this morning. And Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. And Lord, we take the cup this morning, remembering the price that you paid and thanking you that you loved us enough that you gave your, your only son that through him we can have life in Jesus' name. You can go ahead and take the cup this morning. Could you stand and we're just going to close in worship.
for who you are in our lives. God, even as we declare every week that you're crucified, dead, and buried, that in your death, Lord, that we can find life. Lord, that you are the covering for our rebellion. Lord, that you're the covering for our sin. And Lord, it's, it's when we come under the blood, when we come under the sacrifice of what you did, that there is your presence, there is your forgiveness, there's your mercy, there's your love. So God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name. In the-